verses on our hands, tattoo it on our foreheads, and be evil. That's religion. But our religion as Christians is to follow this man named Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, just saying, God, I'm watching you do this, I'm just going to try and do this. I don't know how it's going to work. And you take that step of faith to do what comes unnatural, empowered by the supernatural presence of God, to get something really amazing done in the world. If you've ever heard the expression, the writings on the wall, you probably didn't look over at the wall to read what was there because it wasn't meant to be literal. Today, Pastor Daniel will explain how some of God's commandments were taken so literally by the people of Israel that they missed the deeper message. It's easy to take things at face value, harder to let them change you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Red Sea Passover. The first one, which will end up being three in the book of Exodus, so the first series of three, really has a number of uh, decisive events. First, you have the calling of Moses at the burning bush, which is then followed, of course, by the ten plagues that we've seen, culminating in that third decisive event, which was the Passover, where the angel of death was passed over the houses that had the blood on the doorposts. And now we're going to see ultimately the crossing of what we commonly call the Red Sea. When we get there, we'll talk about it. Actually, in the Hebrew, it it looks more like the Sea of Reeds. So um, it can be translated either way. Most scholars today would say that the best way to translate would be the Sea of Reeds as opposed to the Red Sea. You know, it kind of came down in, in a common language as the Red Sea. But this is the final one because we're going to move into our next series, which we're going to call Sinai. Because at Mount Sinai, now God is going to meet with Moses and the children of Israel, and we're going to get the beginning of the law. Now, when we talk about the law, most people would say that there's 10 commandments, and really there's 10 unique commandments that were written by with the finger of God on the two tablets of stone given to Moses. But scholars would tell you that there's actually 613 commandments in the law. So in a lot of ways, the Mosaic law is like kind of United States tax law. There's a lot in there. And so as we go through Exodus and then Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we're going to end up unpacking all of them. It's going to be fun, isn't it? Let's jump in. Chapter 13 begins in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. So we have the consecration of the firstborn. Now, we just saw that God's final judgment on Egypt was the death of the firstborn. And so now God is saying, I want you to consecrate. I want you to set apart the firstborn. 
And so the idea here is that by consecrating the firstborn, there's a picture of consecrating everybody because everybody flows from the firstborn in, in, in a sense. In Near Eastern culture, the firstborn was the head of the family, was the, was the heir apparent. It functions differently today. Like, could you imagine if, you know, your parents, when they, when they passed away, if they gave all their, their stuff to just the oldest child? Right? That'd be a mess, right? Everyone expects an equal split. That's the way American culture functions. In that culture, everything went to the firstborn. They became the patriarch, the priest, the leader of the tribe. So God is saying, of both animals and people, I want you to set apart the firstborn for me. The firstborn is mine. Now, again, all through the Bible, we have this idea that God deserves the first fruits. When the harvest happens, God gets the first fruits. And the picture of that for us is always that God should get our best, not our leftovers. God, not only should he get our best by law, but God deserves our best because he's God. And so it's so easy sometimes to think about this in a legal way, like, well, God deserves it just the way, like, the government comes and takes their piece of our check, and then we give it, you know. No, no. God deserves our best because he's God. And really, what's unfortunate is we live in a day and age where oftentimes we want to give God the leftovers. We want to. We want to get, make sure everything else, everyone gets theirs, and if we have anything left, we give it to God. And when you do it that way, what do you find? There's never anything left. There's never anything left. So the consecration of the firstborn, that place of primacy, of importance, that one goes to God. That goes to God. And that's been a theme that we've been looking at all the way through. Now, in verse 3, look at what happens. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day, you are going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days and no leaven bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Now, we have a recapitulation once again of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We saw this. Now, because of the continual rehashing of the same things, this is where the um, theological idea of what they would call the source theory comes from. If you studied the Bible in college or if you went to seminary, they would tell you that the first five books were compiled by a number of authors, which scholars give different letter names to. And the reason why they do that is because we just saw a discussion of the Feast of Unleavened Bread last week, and now we get it again, but with slightly different details. So I bring that up, not necessarily because I necessarily hold to source theory, but that's where it comes from. 
because we just saw it now we see it again with slightly different details and so the idea is is that it's compiled from a number of sources and they keep coming back to the same thing now there's a few things that are interesting that we didn't talk about last week that I do want to talk about this week now first and foremost we talked about the idea of leaven being a picture of sin so in Jewish culture for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that week of Passover, they would go through their house and they would get rid of everything that has any yeast in it. So if you had baker's yeast that you used to make your cookies real nice and puffy, that would get out of the house. If you had any um, yeasted bread, you had your Wonder Bread, you had your favorite San Francisco sourdough or whatever else, you get that out of the house. Everything and you sweep it all clean, you make it clean. And I made the application that one of the things we learned from this is that we need to make sure we get rid of the sin in our own lives. We need to identify it and remove it. And we talked about that a lot. And I hope that you didn't just let that moment pass without actually taking some action. I believe in a God who is sovereign but loves that we have responsibility. And he asks us to take steps of faith. You need to drag that stuff into the light. And I encourage you, if you haven't done that yet, oftentimes we want to do it and then the moment passes and then when life happens and it just goes on. Just drag it into the light. Good things happen when we drag our garbage into the light. Because if we walk in the light as he is in the light, God will cleanse us. That's what it says in 1 John. So we've got to drag it into the light. So that's one application. Now notice, he makes the point now about when you go into the land. Notice in verse 5, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep the service in this month. So now we have the idea that they are going into the promised land. They have left Egypt. God is going to bring them into a land that is currently inhabited by a group of people. If you remember in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, God told Abram that, listen, I'm going to give you this land, but it's going to happen when the iniquity of the Canaanites and the Amorites have reached its fulfillment. And now it's that time. And we've been talking about this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's really three themes. There's God, the people, and the land. That's one of the ways you can look at the Bible from cover to cover. God, the people that God has called, and the land that God has promised. So he's saying, look, I'm going to bring you into that land. Once again, you have a land flowing with milk and honey. That means a land of plenty. For us, when you read milk and honey, you're like, I can buy that in Freddy's, you know? But in that culture, milk and honey speaks of a land that's good for grazing so that the cows have enough to eat and so milk is plentiful. And honey, that was the sweetest thing long before high fructose corn syrup. Long before it. So honey was the sweetness. So it speaks of a good land. Now, not only that, notice what happens. In verse 8 through verse 10, we start talking about the idea of this testimony. It says, and you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is done because of the what the Lord did for me when I came out from Egypt. It shall be assigned to you on your hand and memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. So this is meant to be a memorial act. So every year in a Jewish home, when a mom is cleaning out all of the leaven and all of the yeast, kids will be like, what are you doing, mom? Well, listen, I'm doing this because the Lord 
delivered us with a great deliverance. And I made the point that we want to have those type of traditions in our families. That year in and year out, we can teach our children about what God has done, leaving them that legacy of the faith that God has imparted to us. Now notice, it says that they should be as on your hand and between your eyes. Now, what Orthodox Jewish people have done is they end up having things called phylacteries and tefillin. And what these were, these were these little boxes that contained scrolls that they would wrap around their hands or they'd wear it on their head. And so they took this verse absolutely literally. But what does it mean? Does God want us to walk around with Bibles on our hands? And the answer is yes and no. The idea of this, just the way it says that God's word will be in your mouth, doesn't mean you should, when Jeremiah said, your word was found by me, O Lord, and I did eat it, doesn't mean you should eat your Bible. There's no, like literally chew on it. There's no nutritional value to chew on the pages of your Gideon's Bible. Even with the gold gills, it's not, doesn't have any nutritional value for you. It doesn't. But the idea is that God wants his word ever before our eyes. God wants his word lived out with our hands. And God wants us to speak out from his word. So the problem sometimes when we over-literalize what God is saying is we totally miss the point. And Jesus, in talking to the Pharisees in his day, they were case in point of missing the point. Because they had it all dialed in. They had the biggest phylacteries and they did everything right, but their hearts were all wrong. And oftentimes we like religion rather than actually following Jesus. It's very easy to like religion, to be very religious. And it's terrifying to follow Jesus. Because religion will tell you, I am right and this person is wrong. I am justified by what I do. But following Jesus says... You need to love people. You need to be compassionate for people. You need to love those who hate you. You need to pray for those who speak ill of you. You need to do good by those who do wrong by you. It's much easier to have a religion than to follow Jesus. And if you read church history, from in every generation, the church has struggled with this. Because religion, there's something about the fallenness of people that we just want religion. I just want this nice little box that I could fit everything in and that I could just be the way I want to be. No. God wants us to follow Jesus. And that, you know, when you talk about religious, oftentimes people talk about it either as a positive or as a negative. I believe that to be biblically religious, according to the book of James, is to visit widows and orphans and keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's pure and undefiled religion. So religion's not bad as long as we're not content to put the Bible verses on our hands, tattoo it on our foreheads, and be evil. That's religion. But our religion as Christians is to follow this man named Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, just saying, God, I'm watching you do this, and I'm just going to try and do this. I don't know how it's going to work. And you take that step of faith to do what comes unnatural, empowered by the supernatural presence of God, to get something really amazing done in the world. I was reading about Teresa of Calcutta, who we know as Mother Teresa. I mean, it's amazing how God has used that, used that woman. Just little lady, diminutive lady. You know, and if you ever read anything that she's ever written, I don't recommend all of it, but she says some stuff. It's so simple. It's so appropriate for her. And when Mother Teresa died, people from every religion came to mourn her death. Because even if they didn't believe in 
Jesus as she did, they respected the person that she was. And everything she'd say, she's like, look, I do that because that's what I see Jesus do in the Gospels. I, I reach the people on the margins because that's what Jesus did. I chose not to build up a treasure on earth because Jesus told me to lay up treasures in heaven. And so it's important for us that we don't make the same mistake that we see talked about here, which isn't a mistake, but lived out in a religious way. Don't be content to be a good Christian. Be content to be a follower of Jesus. And you know what's amazing? Jesus was a good Christian and they killed him. Peter, James, and John, they were good Christians. And what happened to them? Yeah. The religious establishment wanted to get rid of them. Now, I'm not saying that we should be rebellious for rebellious sake either. I'm just saying that we have cultural religion, Christian religion in America. It's very prevalent. Let's not be content with that. Let's just follow Jesus. Let's let his word be in our minds, before our eyes. Let's take it seriously. With naive innocence, being like, Lord, it says I should love my enemies, so you got to teach me how to do that. I can't do that on my own. It says I should pray for those who hurt me. All right, Lord. Do you know what happens when you pray for your enemies? They stop being your enemies. Because as you pray for them, God gives you his heart for them. You see them from a different vantage point. But we need to give Jesus a shot. Let's not just say, hey, you know, we like Jesus, but we don't think he's so smart. Let's give him a shot. Because Jesus shows up when we take a step towards him. He shows up there. And so we got to be careful because the children of Israel over-literalized this. And they ended up with Bible verses on their hands, but not living it out. Wearing Bible verses on their head, not living it out. And God wants us to live this stuff out. I was just talking to someone just this week, and, you know, their horrible thing had gone on. And they said, you know, listen, I just don't like when people use religion to be awful. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like that either. I'm like, and we do it sometimes. And I'm like, I don't have control over everyone else. I just need to say, God, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy who uses my religion as a, as a reason to be an awful human being. We've all done that, haven't we, at some point? Like you want to push somebody off so you say, hey, I, I got to pray about that. Because you don't really want to actually have to talk about it. Or you're like, I don't want to, I need a time with the Lord. To, just to get rid of him. I need my Bible time rather than working through an issue. So we've got to be careful. It's very easy for us to do that. So, in verse 11, we get back now to the law of the firstborn. Now, look what it says. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, verse 12, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, Every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. And every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among you, your sons, you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 15. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. 
both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So we have the firstborn again. Notice now we have the concept coming in about it needs to be redeemed. And notice in verse 13 it tells us if it's not redeemed, it's not to be owned. Why? Because God's putting the idea of redemption right before the children of Israel, showing them that, listen, in order for life to happen, there needs to be redemption. That's what this is all about. Sometimes God puts things in the law just to point us to the reality that we need to be bought at a price that points us right to Jesus. And if it's not redeemed, it is not to be owned. And over and over again in this section, we keep getting the reality For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt. By strength of hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The reason God showed his strength of hand was because they were in a bad place. So if you're here today and things are going wrong, if things are going wrong, you are a prime candidate for a miracle. You don't need a miracle when everything's good. You need a miracle when there's trouble. And you never see God's strong hand on the sunny days. You only see it on the days when everything's wrong. When everything is happening in a way that is the exact opposite of what we would hope for. And we talk a lot here about being expectant, believing that God is God. But if you're in a bad way, you're a prime candidate for God to do something strong on your behalf. And so as Christians, we should be people who grieve and struggle with life, but with a biblical hope that says, I don't know what's happening, but I know that God is real. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know that Jesus died and rose again. I can't fathom how God's going to bring beauty out of ashes, but yet he's been doing it as long as humanity's been on the earth. God showed himself to the children of Israel that radically changed the course of this group of people because of the issues they were having in Egypt. With a strong hand, he did it. So if you're here today and you are struggling and life is hard, you're a prime candidate for a miracle. So take heart. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Now, in verse 17, we begin some of the wilderness wanderings. Notice what it says. Then it came to pass... When Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here from with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Jesus is God wants us to live out our faith. But as we heard today, when you're overly literal and religious, you can miss the point. It's easier to have a religion than to follow Jesus. 
because the focus is on adhering to rules. Jesus is about changing your heart. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure and tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share what was happening to the Hebrews in the desert after leaving Egypt. God nurtures the people with signs just as He nurtures us, but eventually we do have to mature. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Passover. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 